This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So when Jesus was telling us about faith, he told us the principles of faith. He gave us, in my opinion, the most concise definition of what faith is and how it operates of any other place in Scripture. And that's in Mark chapter 11. Jesus has cursed the fig tree the the morning before, and now they come by the next morning, the next day, and the disciples recognize that the same fig tree that was fruitful, or not fruitful, but had leaves, green leaves, and and looked like it was a a big show, it looked like it had fruit on it, even though it didn't. At least it was growing, it looked like it was a thriving tree, the problem was it didn't bear fruit. Jesus cursed it the morning before, now the next day it's dried up from the roots. Think about the supernatural aspect of that, folks. From a natural standpoint, if you cut the tree down, if you took a saw and cut the tree down the day before, it'd still be laying on the ground with green leaves. But not this tree. This tree looks like it's been dead for years. It's dried up from the roots. Perhaps it would look something like if a tree had been struck by lightning. I believe it was. Not physical lightning, but the Word of God had the same effect on it. From the roots up, not from the leaves down, but from the roots up, It had the same effect as if it had been hit by a natural bolt of lightning. The Word of God is more powerful than any natural bolt of lightning there is. So Peter calls it to Jesus' attention. He said, Master, look, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered away. Peter seems to be surprised. Jesus is not. Jesus answers in verse 22 and says, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say, Now, we've said this over and over again, but I cannot go through these scriptures without pointing it out. Jesus did not answer, Peter, this happened to prove to you that I'm the Son of God. Jesus said in verse 23, he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. You know, the problem with a lot of people's situation is they're praying to God about their mountain or their problem instead of speaking to it. Jesus said, talk to your problems. Sickness go in the name of Jesus. Lack, go in the name of Jesus. That's all some people's problem just right there. Now you've got to stick to it. Notice the, the condition of it is, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, And be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, And, here's the only condition he places on it, And shall not down in his heart. And shall not doubt in his heart. We've looked at, to, to some degree, not in great extent, but we've looked at some, to some degree, about what doubting in your heart is. Let's look a little bit further in that. Turn back with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 tells us the story of the children of Israel. This is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The reason it's one of my favorite stories is because it's something that we can learn from and operate on. I love to hear about Peter walking on the water. I love to hear about the things that Jesus did, but I like the stories that specifically give me some principle that I can operate on so that I can have success for myself. I like hearing other people's testimonies. I'm glad for the things that God does for them, but I want to know what I can do. Don't you? Somebody else being healed doesn't really help me. I want to know what I can do in my situation. So here we are in Numbers chapter 13. It tells us about how the children of Israel, Moses is still the leader of the children of Israel, they come out of Egypt... God delivers them through the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea for them by the hand of Moses, at his direction. And now they come to the edge of the promised land. Moses instructs these people. 
Now, the promised land is just on the other side of the Jordan River. So what we're going to do is we're going to send 12 spies. God tells him, send one person to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Send one person from each tribe over into the promised land. Let them see the land, spy out the land, and come back and tell what the land is like. That's their only job. Go over, see what the land is like, and come back and tell us. So the Bible tells us that they go. It says, we'll start reading in verse... uh, Verse 23, Numbers chapter 13, verse 23. And it says, They came into the brook of Eskel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. They stay in the promised land 40 days. And they went and came to Moses. This is on their return, and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said. Now, folks, please understand the emphasis is on what you say. The principle of faith is you can have what you say. So notice what everybody says. Let's don't look at anything else. We don't have to worry about their motives or, or what was going on behind the scenes. Let's look at what they say. And they said, they being the twelve spies, they said, We came unto the land which, flow, which thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Now, the fruit that they bring back is a cluster of grapes that they're carrying on a stick. I would assume that two guys are carrying on a stick because it's too big for one guy to carry. Wouldn't you assume so? I mean, otherwise, why not one guy just put it in his little shopping bag and carry it home? That's what you do with a cluster of grapes when you go to the store and buy one, isn't it? There's something significant about this that they're going to bring back to show everybody. If they, Why wouldn't they just go over and say, oh, yeah, there's grapes over there? If these are normal grapes, if this is a normal situation, what they would expect to see or might have seen in Israel, why are they bringing it back to show? But the fact that they say this is a land that flows with milk and honey says to me that this is some unique something about these grapes. I have to assume that it's large because two guys are carrying it so that they want to tell the people rather than just say, we saw the biggest grapes you can imagine over there. We want to show them yourselves, show them to everybody ourselves. Same thing must be true with the pomegranates and the figs. If they're, they're, whether that's the size, whether that's the, 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 I don't know, what else would it be? I don't know. But they come back and say the land flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit thereof. That's where they should have shut up. That's really all they were sent to tell. But now they speak up and say what they think. Now folks, let me interrupt our story here for just a minute. You're always going to have success when you speak the word. You're very rarely going to have success when you speak what you think. God's not impressed with what you think or with what I think or with what anybody else thinks. He is, however, bound to honor his word. In Matthew chapter 8, the centurion comes to Jesus for healing for his servant and says, Speak the, you don't have to come to my house, Jesus, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. That phrase just runs over and over and over again in my heart, over and over and over, day after day after day. Speak the word only. Speak the word only. 
Jesus marvels at this man's faith because of what he understands. He understands that all all it takes is the word of God spoken and you can get supernatural results. People mess up when they speak the word and start speaking something else. So they said, this is a land. Surely this land flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, verse 28. In other words, just because we see evidence of what the Bible said, what God told us, we think something else too. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. In other words, they said, well, the land is just the way God said. But, oh, there's a problem. The problem is there are people that live in there. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? Hasn't God just within the, well, two years prior to this point in time, it took a while for God to to, uh, deliver the Ten Commandments and they camped at uh, um, Mount Sinai for a while before they ever get to the Promised Land. It's been about two, a little less than two and a half years, two, two and a half years, somewhere in that uh, time range, as much as we're able to determine But two and a half years before, God delivered them from the strongest army on the face of the earth. They didn't even have to throw a rock. And God parted the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his armies chased after them. And they were drowned when the waters came back together. Don't you think God intended for them to learn something about that? Don't you think maybe God intended for them to recognize, wait a minute, we don't have to be afraid of anybody. God just defeated the strongest army. They're stronger than the the Amalekites. They're stronger than the children of Anak. They're stronger than the Canaanites. Pharaoh and his army is the strongest army on the face of the earth. Don't you think maybe God intended for them to learn, don't worry about people standing in the way of what I tell you. Sure would have been a good lesson for them to learn, wouldn't it? I wonder if God intends for us to learn that same lesson too. Folks, I'm here to tell you, there is no one that can stop the plan of God for your life except you. There's not one of these people, not all of these people put together, that can stop what God said about them taking possession of the promised land. But there is a people that they cannot defeat, and that's themselves. They're the only ones that can stop it. So they said... Nevertheless, the people that live in the city are great. They have big walls around their cities. The the Malachites and the children of Anak are there, and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites. Verse 30, Caleb, one of the twelve, he stills the people before the Lord and says, said, he said, notice what people are saying here. He said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now, why is Caleb saying we're well able to do this? Why is Caleb saying we're strong enough to be able to pull this off? Do they look strong enough? The people certainly don't feel strong enough. Why is he saying we're able to overcome it? Is he saying because we've got the best army in the world now? No, he's saying God's on our side. God on your side will cause you to be able to overcome anything. God on your side will be able to overcome any terminal disease. God on your side will be able to overcome anything that the the doctor says you can't be cured or healed of. God on your side will cause you to overcome anything and everything that the devil's got. Caleb knows God's on his side. 
Now, folks, what's the difference in the other ten and Caleb? Joshua winds up being on Caleb's side. So two of them come back and, and, and say, we can do this because God's with us. What's the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other ten? They've all seen the same things. They've all had the same experience. They've all witnessed the same things. They've all heard the same things from Moses. What's the difference in these people? What's the difference in the two and the ten? The two choose to accept what God said to be true. That's it. That's why being strong in the Lord is first and foremost a choice. It's a choice. It's not some people have more than other people have. It's not that God gives more faith to certain ones than He gives to others. Some people see someone that's strong in faith and they'll say, Oh, I just don't have the kind of faith that you do. Well, you can. You can develop faith to any degree or any measure you choose to. Being strong in the Lord is a choice, folks. It's not God handpicking certain ones that are lucky. It's available for everybody. Caleb chooses to believe that what God said was true. Joshua chose to believe what God said was true. And notice how it affected what they said. You can always tell what choice somebody's made by what they say. But the congregation, the men that went with him, verse 31, the men that went with him, that's the ten, said, we are not able to go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report. They brought up an evil report. Now remember we talked about over in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Another translation says when evil attacks you. Here's what the Bible says is evil. It defines evil as doubt. It defines evil as speaking against what God said is yours or speaking against what God said you can do. That's what God calls evil. Now, we think of evil as lying and cheating and stealing and, and you know, doing stuff like that. Notice that's not what these people came back doing. They didn't come back and having started a bootleg operation. They didn't come back doing drugs. They came back and they said what God said we could do or what God said we could have, we really can't do or really can't have. That's what the Bible says in an evil report. That's what doubting in your heart is all about. They doubted in their heart. How do we know they doubted in their heart? Because of what they said. They spoke against God's word, and that's what doubt of the heart is. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. My mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV. You have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning, and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church. And pastors teaching, you know, it was outstanding on television, but you were kind of shocked by how much more there was when it wasn't just the half an hour, but, you know, his full message. Holy Spirit said through Paul, Christ is the head, you're the body. Where are the feet? Are the feet in the head? No, the feet are in the body. That means if he put all things under his feet and you're the body of Christ and he's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that means all things are under your feet. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. 
They spoke against God's Word, and that's what doubt of the heart is. So the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against them and possess the land, for they are stronger than we are. Verse 32, And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now we could could talk about why they said what they said. It's pretty obvious. They said what they said because of what they saw. They said what they said because of what influence they allowed what they saw to have on them. But the bottom line is still the same, and that is they said something contrary to God's Word. The Bible calls it an evil report, and God said you can have what you say. Now, I can prove this to you. Joshua then steps in. The Bible tells us about Numbers chapter 14. The congregation lifted up their voice and wept. Joshua steps in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's not too late. We can still turn this thing around. But the people then start to speak out. The congregation starts to speak out. So far, we've just heard from the ten. And Caleb. Then we hear from Joshua. He says, don't rebel against God. He, if, if He's on our side, if He favors us, He'll bring us into this land. But the congregation then begins to speak, and notice what they say. Let me read this to you so you can see their own words. Joshua, I mean, uh, Numbers chapter 14. They said... Um, well, let me, let me back up and say what Joshua starts to say. Joshua says in verse 8, If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear you the people of the land. That's why they're, that's why they're saying what they're saying, because they're afraid. Neither fear you the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defenses departed from them. Why? Because the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before the children of Israel. Now God steps in and says, or provides protection for the people that are operating in faith. But they said, the children of Israel, let me back up in chapter 14 too. The congregation, verse 1, lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Well, it's too late. They're not there anymore. But would God that we had died in this wilderness. That's not too late. They can still do that. And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us make a captain and go down the street and start another church. Folks, I want you to understand, that's why the church is split. And you need to understand, here is the position that people that refuse to operate in faith take against those that will. You need to be prepared for this. It may be family members for you. It may be others that are close to you. You need to understand, when you take a position of faith, whenever you come upon somebody that is not willing to be strong in the Lord, that will not choose to be strong in the Lord and believe the Bible to be true, they will then accuse you of wrongdoing. That's when Joshua speaks up and says, wait a minute, don't rebel against God. He'll bring us into the land. And then they say again, they picked up stones and they said, let's kill these people that are talking about this God bringing us in stuff. That's the attitude that religion takes against faith. 
Now, folks, look at the body of Christ. Look at where the, 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 um, the assault is made on those so-called faith people or the faith message or the faith movement. I, and I, I, ref, I, like I said before, there's no such thing. There's simply the Word of God. If you hear the Word of God, it produces faith. If faith is not being produced, you're not hearing the Word. It's just that simple. But look at the, the criticism in what the church world calls the faith movement. Is the criticism that we believe God? No, all Christians claim to believe God. Where's the criticism? The criticism is the preaching about you can have what you say. The criticism is about the confession part. It's about the part that Jesus emphasized. That's where the criticism is. And that's where the criticism is always going to be. The devil is always going to try to attack you in what you say, not what you believe. Because if he control your tongue, he can control your believing. Mark, Mark uh, 12, verse 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and says, O generation of vipers, he said, How can you that are evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? See, whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. That's why it's important for you to speak the Word of God and put the Word of God in your heart so that when situations and difficulties arise, then the Word of God will be spoken because it's already in your heart. That's why preparation is so important. So what are they saying? You've got Caleb saying, we can do it. You've got Joshua saying, we can do it. You've got the ten spies saying, we can't do it. And you've got the congregation saying, it'd be better for us to die in the wilderness. Folks, within 24 hours, the ten spies are dead. In 40 years, the congregation dies in the wilderness. But some 45 years later... Caleb and Joshua go into the promised land and they get exactly what they said. They took possession of the land. In Joshua, what is it, Joshua chapter 8, something like that, it says Caleb tells Joshua, goes to Joshua and says, 40 years ago, I said we could take possession of the land. Now I want this mountain. Give me this mountain and I'm still well able to do it. And he went and took the same mountain, took the place that, got, that he asked for. Joshua gave it to him as part of his inheritance. He took the mountain. Everybody in this story got exactly what they said. Everybody. They got exactly what they said. Now, why did they get exactly what they said? Notice uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 28. God steps in to protect Caleb and Joshua and Moses, but he says to this, he tells the people, here's how it works. Now, I want you to understand that the principle of faith has always been the same. When Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, answering about the fig tree drying up from the roots, he said, have faith in God. Another translation says, have the faith of God. Or the God kind of faith. The faith of God would be the God kind of faith, wouldn't it? The Bible told us from the beginning. Old Testament, it didn't start with Jesus. It told us from the beginning that things work by faith. The Bible says God created the worlds by faith. Through the spoken word. And so God is now delivering his information to the children of Israel. Here's how it's going to work with you. Verse 24. God says to Moses, say unto them, as truly as I live... I've said this before, but it bears repetition in case you haven't heard it. The phrase, as truly as I live, whenever you see that in the Scripture, it means something more than God saying, I'm telling you the truth. It literally means, another translation says it this way, the original Hebrew says it this way, it is the oracle of God. An oracle is an unchanging law. God is saying, Moses, tell the people, this is my unchanging law. It was the unchanging law before that day. It's the unchanging law today. It'll be the unchanging law throughout eternity. Here's the unchanging law of God. See how this matches up with what Jesus told us about faith. 
as you have spoken in, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now, in their case, he goes on to explain. He says, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. Why? Because that's what they said. They said, would God we had, had died in this wilderness. That's chapter 14, verse 2. They said, would God we have died in this wilderness. God said, okay. Unfortunately, here's the unchanging law of God. You get what you say. And you just said you'd die in the wilderness instead of taking possession of the land. Caleb and Joshua were the only two of the whole congregation that said they'd go in and take the promised land. And they're the only two that got it. Now think about how that relates to and how that compares to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 verse 23. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you. That's almost like saying as truly as I live. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. It's God saying, whatever words you've spoken in my ears, that's what I'll do to you. In other words, when you speak to the mountain based on the truth of God's word, God backs you up. He doesn't just honor you and just honor your words. He honors you speaking His word. Folks, you can have what you say. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Don't let another word come out of your mouth contrary to the word. Once the, Brother Hagin used to say this. He said, Once the word of faith is spoken, I refuse to go back on it. Oh, that's held me steady in so many times, so many situations. Once the word of faith is spoken, I refuse to go back on it. Once the word of faith is spoken, refuse to go back on it. Don't let another word to the contrary come out of your mouth. Refuse to say anything except what God's word says, and you'll have what you say. Amen? The Christian life is the best life there is because God has planned so many wonderful things for His children. But the key is to become a child of God. And that only comes through Jesus by believing that God raised Him from the dead and by confessing Him as your Lord and Savior. A simple prayer of salvation would sound something like this. God, I I believe that You sent Jesus to the earth, that He died for my sins, and that You raised Him from the dead. I therefore confess Him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that you're now my father. That's all there is to it. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, pray that prayer today. Thanks for watching. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. She said, uh, I saw the advertisement for healing school, so we came that night. And she said, I'm, I'd been diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis, MS. And she said, uh, uh, I came up to you after the service, and, and I was just sure that you were going to lay hands on me and pray for me when I told you what the situation was, and, and you didn't do it. Well, that sounds like me. She said, you sent me back to the bookstore to get some materials on healing. Well, that sounds like me, too. And she said, I was really disappointed. 
I thought, oh my goodness, my chance to be healed is gone. She said, but I, I did what you said. I went back and I got the book that you told me to. And you had also referred me to the website and told me about some of the messages and different things that I could download and listen to and, and so forth. And she said, the Word of God has changed my life. She said, now I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. I understand what belongs to me. She said, I'm, I believe I received my healing. I'm standing in faith for my healing. And she said, and even though I don't go by what it looks like, my symptoms are starting to diminish. Well, why? Because you put the word first. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's word. 